So there are few forces on earth more powerful and deadly than a Category 4 hurricane. So these are storms that can stretch for hundreds and hundreds of miles over the ocean. And at its center, a Category 4 hurricane can generate winds of nearly 200 kilometers per hour and waves of more than 100 feet high. And so the typical energy that a Category 4 storm can generate over its lifetime is the equivalent to 10,000 nuclear bombs going off. They have sunk fully laden cargo vessels, devastated coastal communities, and killed tens of thousands of people. Storms at sea are, in short, absolutely terrifying. Now, the Sea of Galilee, uh, where the story is set, it is tiny in comparison. It's more like a large lake. A hurricane simply is not possible there. We don't have the conditions available for that sort of storm. However, storms can appear from absolutely nowhere over the Sea of Galilee. And high winds can come from absolutely nowhere from the hills which surround the sea. And so conditions there can become really dangerous in a very short space of time. And so often in our own lives, we can, from almost nowhere, encounter storms, things that are challenging. Moreover, when God is calling us in mission, as it were, to step out, it can feel like we're taking a massive risk, like stepping out of a boat onto stormy waves. And so Matthew, the author of our gospel today, he was writing to Christians, most likely Jewish background Christians, who had been called by Jesus to live by his teaching and to serve on mission, both to their own community, Jews, and to Gentiles. And it is believed that this is exactly what Matthew's Jewish Christian audience was experiencing. They had been called, as it were, to step out of the boat in faith and obedience, but it was not easy. There was persecution from their own community, the Jews. And so Matthew, really what he's doing is he's writing his gospel to equip this community to live faithfully and to be fruitful in mission. We see from the story that Jesus' presence is there in the midst of the storm to rescue and to lead us on. Moreover, he calls us out upon choppy waters into a life of risk and faith. And he is the one who equips us to be brave and to do the impossible. And so diving in at verse 22, we read, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And I'm picking up on this word made because in the original language that's written in, in the Greek, it's a word of strong stuff. It is literally to be compelled. I love how the message renders this, that Jesus insisted that they get into the boat and go to the other side. So Jesus made his disciples 
get into a boat headed for stormy waters. Here at Bangor Parish Church, we want to say that we believe in a good God, a God who's ultimately for us and not against us. And yet, he leads us into some interesting places in our own personal lives and into some interesting circumstances as we seek to serve him and see his kingdom come. And I'm not going to come here today to you guys in a white suit and tell you that this is going to be easy because it's untrue and it's crass, quite simply. Yes, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but we also have to take up our cross and follow him. And so we've all experienced those times that feel a bit like a storm. Seasons of life where friends are far away, where fair havens have faded from the horizon, and when we are storm-tossed at sea and everything feels stripped away. And this could be in your place of employment, it could be in your studies, if you're a student, it could be in your home life, your family life, your marriage, or it could be even, even your journey in some health issues. I'm thinking in the context of a church on mission, that often as we step out, things can feel kind of bumpy. Things go well in terms of the mission, but it isn't always plain sailing. Who here knows what I'm talking about, by the way? You're very quiet. Um, and so the Jewish audience that, that Matthew was written for, they would have understood this perfectly. He made me get, out of the, get into the boat. He made me get into the boat. And he's sovereign. And he's good. And he knows exactly what he's doing. I think as well in the passage that there's something about obedience as well. Because the disciples, they get into the boat when Jesus tells them to get into the boat. They don't convene a meeting of the select vestry and discuss it over various minutes and uh, points. They just simply listen to Jesus. And so the disciples, they're made to get into this boat and go ahead of Jesus, and they're bound for stormy waters. I just want to make a brief excursion here. So before this passage is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So it's a time of intense ministry for Jesus. He's surrounded by crowds and crowds of people, and the need is great. And yet, prayer, solitude, and Sabbath remained really, really important to Jesus for the vitality of his relationship with the Father. So he actually chose to dismiss the crowds and to retreat back. And this is something that we see Jesus do time and time again throughout his ministry. And if Jesus needed that, I mean, he was fully God and fully human. If Jesus needed that in his humanity, how much more do we need that in our lives? Having these as spiritual disciplines in your life or your walk with God is so, so important, especially if we feel like we are in the midst of that which is stormy or difficult. Perhaps for you today, it's a case of spending more time in prayer. 
Perhaps it's intentionally carving out rest in your schedule to be in God's presence. I don't know about you guys, but I tend, if I have some time off, to actually fill it with more stuff. So in the end, I actually don't end up resting. Or perhaps it's to actively seek out solitude. And I find that when I engage with God in this way, when there are good patterns and rhythms in my life, I can navigate the storms and stresses and strains that that come my way. And also, I'm in a better place of emotional and spiritual health to actually engage in the things that God has for me. A game changer for me has, has been this thing. These things cause so much trouble. A game changer for me has been one day a week switching off my phone. So often we have a tendency, uh, we're out, out of work to check our emails, see what's happening, check our friends and Facebook, and actually it's such a distraction. And so every Saturday or Sunday I've started doing this, and it's worked wonders for my quiet time. It means I've actually been truly alo- alone in God's presence. It frees me up, it gives me a bit of headspace, and it's just worked wonders. So I'd recommend doing that or finding something that works for you. My second point is that God is the Lord over chaos. So by the time we reach verse 24 in our passage, these disciples, we are told from the text, are literally in the middle of the sea, which is roughly around uh, one or two miles out. So the Sea of Galilee, as I've said, it is a small sea. It's not massive. But the disciples, they're, they're a fair bit out, and they're getting battered by these waves just relentlessly. And so I imagine these disciples, they're probably a little tired, they're probably a little on edge by the time that Jesus comes to them because he comes sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. I don't know about you, I don't know what you're like at that time in the morning, but I know what I'm like. Um, And so the disciples are absolutely scared out of their wits because this is totally unexpected. They're so terrified that they actually call Jesus a phantasma, which is really an an interchangeable term. In your translation, it probably renders it as ghost, but it can actually also mean a spirit or even a demon. They're that afraid. And so Jesus in verse 27, the first thing he does, as so often he does, he allays their fears. He says to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus walking on the water, yes, it was a demonstration of his power, and yes, it showed something of who he was, in other words, the Son of God. But I want to pick up, firstly, on the significance of Jesus walking on the sea. In the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, the sea was symbolic of everything that seemed chaotic chaos, everything that seemed difficult, it was symbolic of the unknown. If you think about it, they went about in wooden boats, and they weren't very reliable, they weren't the same as our our boats today, and they would disappear. And so there was this air of mystery around the sea, this air of chaos and the waves. And God, in the Old Testament, because he's the same God, beginning and end is shown to be Lord over the sea. Lord over everything which seems chaotic. 
And this is seen especially through the Exodus. The people of God coming through the sea. In Psalm 77, verse 19, we read, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, your footprints were not seen. And Job 98 states, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. My favorite way that this is expressed is in Isaiah 51, 10. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea that the redeemed might cross over? For many of us here, we are journeying what feels like chaos in our lives. And so Jesus walking on the water shows that he is sovereign over our chaos, that he will come to us and that he will help us in the midst of that. Furthermore, the it is I is so, so, so significant. So in the Greek, it's a bit of a clunky sentence because it's literally Jesus saying, the one who is speaking to you, I am. Ego ime. It's a bit weird. But Jesus doesn't get his words wrong. We know that from the scriptures. He knows what he's saying because it would remind the disciples of what God had said to Moses in the Exodus. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Effectively, Jesus is saying, he is the great I am. It's an unmistakable statement of his divinity. God was in their midst. And he's in yours too. Even in what seems or feels like chaos. My third point today, I want to look at stepping out of the boat. So I want us to take a fresh look at Peter today. So often we look at Peter's doubt, his feeling, his falling into the water, really, really quite negatively. And yes, of course, he is a bit impulsive and he does fall down an awful lot in the Gospels. And so often as well, we tend to read Jesus' words in an angry tone. I don't know if you guys do that. I, I know I certainly do. Uh, and sometimes Jesus' words are angry, in a righteous anger. And so we tend to read this, this passage in a similar sort of way where we go, you have little faith, why did you doubt? I very much doubt this is the tone that Jesus said this in. Really what Matthew wants to do is for us to see ourselves in Peter because faith and doubt are all part of the trials of discipleship. It's all part of the journey. In many ways, Peter is to be admired in the story because, I mean, look at the other guys. Did, did they get out of the boat? Only two people in all of history have walked on water. Jesus, because he could. And Peter, because he had faith 
that Jesus could allow him to do so. Who do you think came away from this situation with more regret? The disciples who stayed in the boat or Peter? I think it's a good thought to have. Uh, The text actually doesn't say. But I feel that the person who probably grew the most through this experience was probably Peter. And I would want to say that it was probably Peter who came away with less regret. And I feel as a people here in Bangor Parish Church, a church that is seeking to reach the lost, to breathe life and hope into Bangor, to write a new story for our town, that we are called to step out of the boat onto stormy waters, or waters that seem stormy. Everything we do here, everything that we are going to start here will require us to step out in faith, out of the boat. It's going to take ordinary disciples, in other words, guys like you and guys like me, called to very ordinary bog-standard obedience and very ordinary bog-standard faith to share in the extraordinary deeds of Jesus Christ. Because if we step out in ordinary obedience and ordinary faith, the God who comes to us in the storm and walks on the storm with us will invite us to walk with him in a victory parade on the storm. And I feel today that for us as a church, this is a word and season, that he's calling you guys to a life of risk and stepping out in faith for him. This could be stepping out in faith and trust, even though it is financially difficult or inconvenient. It could be stepping out in faith with your colleagues at work and sharing your faith with them. It could be inviting them to something. It could be practically serving somebody this week. It could be with your family. That's a mission field. In this place, we have children, parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, and uncles, which means that you have a unique set of relationships that are unique to you, which I don't share in. That means you have unique influence to bring the kingdom. It could be taking a risk this week simply to pray with someone. You might encounter someone in your week who they're maybe struggling with something or they share a bit of their story and it might just be stepping out of the boat to say, listen, I'm hearing what you're saying. Do you mind if I just pray with you? It could even be with a total stranger. I think it's really interesting that the Evangelical Alliance and the Church of England, they actually did some research on this. Do you know that one in five people who we chat to about Jesus will want to know more. 20% of conversations that we have. So throughout our week, there are actually moments that are pregnant with the potential for the kingdom of God to break in. As we, God's kingdom agents, have the opportunity to partner with him in his amazing mission. When we step out in obedience and in faith. What risks will you take this week with Jesus by your side? R.T. France, one of the, the theologians at the front, uh, the forefront really of the study of Matthew, says this, Peter's fault was in his loss of confidence 
rather than in his initial proposal. And it's this loss of confidence, this unbelief where the learning happened for Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus and he finds himself engulfed by the water. And when Peter began to sink, when his faith shifted from the firmness of Jesus' word to the instability of his circumstances, he began to sink. And how many of us have found this, that we've taken our eyes off Jesus in a storm in our personal lives potentially, or even when stepping out in faith for him? And it doesn't go well. And yet, despite this, there is a rescue as Peter cries out independence of Jesus. David Turner comments, Peter's faith may be weak, and I'd want to say the other disciples weaker, but Jesus' presence will continue to empower and rescue as inevitable storms and future trials are encountered. And this is such a comfort to us all in our weakness and our difficulty. And so I have a number of responses today that you may want to make. And the first one may be today to step out in obedience and choose to go where Jesus is telling you to go, even though it doesn't make perfect sense. Perhaps today it is to follow the example of Jesus by putting in place healthy rhythms, healthy practices, such as the spiritual disciplines of prayer, silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Perhaps today it's to choose to believe that God is sovereign over everything in your life. And it's an invitation today to courage. And finally, it may be and I feel this is a word for us as a church, myself included, is to step out in faith and obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the impossible.